Welcome to Frame of Reference, informed, intelligent conversations about the issues and challenges facing everyone in today's world. In-depth interviews with Sauk County's leaders and professionals to help you expand and inform your frame of reference. Brought to you by the Max FM Digital Network. Now here's your host, Raul Labresh. Welcome to another edition of Frame of Reference, your uh, one and only source of Sauk County information in, well, an unusual way. I'm uh, happy to bring to you a rerun today. Uh, normally, this time of year, we would have had a show that I called a very Sauk Prairie Christmas. Uh, we've been doing it for about five years, and uh, a hallmark of those presentations was to bring in Mr. Jerry Apps, Professor Jerry Apps, and he and I would have a conversation on the air uh, and talk about all kinds of different things, but uh, largely it was talking about old times and farm uh, Christmases that he was a part of years and years and years ago and and some of the traditions that he's carried forward and and some of the things that uh, have long been forgotten. So it was always just such a wonderful time to kind of put everything in perspective. And frankly, I wasn't sure what I was going to do this year without the opportunity to talk to Jerry. So the best thing I could come up with was to play, I think, my favorite conversation together. And that's that's a really close decision, I'll tell you, because we've had some great ones with Jerry and his son Steve and his daughter Susan being a part of the broadcast some years um, but last year was particularly nice. Not only was Jerry in prime form, uh, but we also had wonderful musical guests. Uh, Mr. Kurt Miney joined us as the Prairie Spies and did some very special rend- rend- renditions of uh, some Christmas carols, too. So uh, we're going to play that episode again for you in its entirety and uh, as a special tribute to Jerry and as well as a special tribute to the Christmas season. Um, I hope you'll all enjoy it as much as I enjoyed doing it. And I'm really looking forward to next year. Please, God, let there be another opportunity to, to talk with Jerry and have another very merry Sockberry Christmas. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carol being sung by a choir And folks just up like Eskimos Everybody knows some turkey, some mistletoe Helps to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow, a kind of hard to sleep tonight. Because they know that Santa's on his way, bringing lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. Then every mother's child will spy to see if reindeer really know how to fly. I'm offering the simple phrase To kids from 1 to 92 Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas To you 
That's right. Merry Christmas to you, Sock Prairie. Welcome to the fifth annual, a very merry Sock Prairie Christmas. And uh, we're back once again as we try to do every Christmas season. Uh, and uh, it's always a blast because we have great musical guests like the Prairie Spies. Yeah, that's okay. Put it, I saw people wanting to like, of course. Why would you not want to applaud for the Prairie Spies? Kurt Miney and Scott Weber always bringing cheer. And of course, my special, special, special guest, Mr. Jerry. Do we, do we use Gerald when we're doing a formal presentation? I wish you would. Okay. <laughs> Jerry Apps is here. The incomparable Jerry Apps. So, who, if you don't know who Jerry is, all I can say is get a life and get a book, okay? <laughs> so, Jerry, thank you. Thank you again. This has gotten to be a Christmas tradition for me, and I know you are a, a, a expert in traditions, I think. Oh, uh, don't go with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to call you one anyways, and I'm an expert in experts, so there. What oh, do you think you about go. that? So, Jerry, I, you know, the, the problem is I think we could talk about just about anything, and this is an hour-long broadcast, uh, and so here on WRPQ, 99.7 Max FM out of Baraboo, and I have to thank them, too, honestly, because uh, they're the reason why we're able to broadcast this every year. Uh, the folks up up there, Mike and Corey and Jamie, and uh, just a, a great group of people. So, But I, I know your career has, span, has a span. What's the word I'm looking for there? Help I have me. no idea. Okay. <laughs> Spans. That's what I'm looking for. Spans in a, don't, a significant don't put an, don't amount of time. Don't put an M on it. Don't, okay. Don't. Well, spam. Spam is okay. <laughs> Although that would be okay. You could probably have good stories about spam, right? right. So it spans a, a extremely uh, wonderful period of time. I think in terms of when you think about. You were born what in the 30s? Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. My my mother-in-law is a, a 32 graduate of the class of 1932. Um, so I don't know if you're still in that. You don't have to say. <laughs> That's all right. I'm sorry. I can look, tell from the look of your eyes. You're not going to make me say it, are you? So, but uh, 1934 I, was the year. 34. All right. He's proud. He's he's confident. I'm, I like that. I like to see people proud and confident. And I think the world has changed a bit since 1934. Uh, it has for me anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, and uh, t- tell me a little bit about that. Growing up in terms of the the stuff that you remember earliest and going through the past eighty some years, uh, your octogenarian quality, right? It's like a fine wine. Five years already. I've been an octogenarian. Uh, octogenarian. Yes. Yeah, really. Another big word out well, there. Well, the. Um, Back in the 30s, we were in the depths of the Depression in, in this country, and uh, Wisconsin was not uh, – uh, had its share of Depression uh, challenges as well. In central Wisconsin, uh, in Washera County, west of Wild Rose, where I was born, uh, the Depression was awful, as it was everywhere. And we had uh, – well, we had no electricity. We had an old uh, – Party line telephone, that we did have, uh, no indoor plumbing, heated our house with wood stoves. But we didn't know any different. Uh, all, we're all in the same boat. And it was, a, it was a, a community of neighbors who looked after each other, who cared for each other, who helped out each other. And it was a fascinating group of people as I think back on it. I just thought every place was like this. But we had Norwegian folks. We had Polish folks. We had Welsh, German, 
the English, the whole schmear of ethnic groups, some of whom could scarcely speak English, mm-hmm. uh, especially the Polish and Norwegian folks tended to use those languages at home. And I'm a product of a one-room country school. And can you imagine going to the one-room country school and having all these these kids with all these different accents. Mm-hmm. I just thought the world was like that. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget. This. It should be like that. I just want to go on the record as saying well, that. Well, that's so, yes, it was. It, it, well, we we had a wonderful time uh, getting acquainted with each other. And I will never forget this, this, this young woman who was just behind me. Uh, grade behind me, all eight grades, of course, in one room in those days. The the the, the, uh, the school had no electricity either uh, mm-hmm. at that time and was heated with wood stove, so that's a whole other story. But Mildred Twindrzynski, S-W-E-N-D-R-Y-Z-N-S-K-I. Oh, my Lord. Say that <laughs> ten times fast, huh? Wow. Mildred Twindrzynski, a Polish family, she could not hardly speak English mm-hmm. in first grade. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Can you imagine Imagine what the teachers yeah. faced in those yeah. days. Because yeah. the kid next to her, little Ole, he could barely speak English either, but he was Norwegian in background. Sure. Well, we have that today with the Hispanic students. Yeah, that's from, true. And, and we, we think it's some sort of weird thing. That, but, you know, uh, oh, it's just so inconvenient. Anyway, uh, so, I, people wonder, well, what's, what in the world is going to happen to kids like Mildred Swindrasinski? Well, interestingly enough, Mildred went on to get a Ph.D. in chemistry at the University of Wisconsin and became a research chemist uh, working for a company in uh, Michigan. Wow. So look at that. That's uh, the American dream, yeah. isn't it? So, so. I, I think of people like that, especially at Christmas time, because these were all my friends. We knew each other. We knew each other's dogs' names <laughs> and their horses' names. <laughs> I mean, it was that way. Uh, in this little rural community as we prepared for Christmas, because Christmas was then a big deal as it is now, sure. uh, but in a different way. Because one of the memories I have was uh, right after Thanksgiving, the Sears Christmas catalog arrived. I mean, the Sears, how, how many in the audience remember the Sears Christmas catalog? A bunch of folks. Well, it was the Bible. I mean, I have two brothers, and we fought to look at that catalog. We studied it from beginning to end, mm-hmm. and the folks had said to us, you may find in that catalog one toy and one one item of clothing. That's it. That, 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 that's the, well, to pick out one thing sure. in that whole book, one toy. I I don't know how it ever, how it ever happened, but I was always kind of interested in books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even Boy, you it, should do something even, with that before. Even then, I think. I <laughs> and I can remember. I, I think it was maybe I was ten years old, and I picked out a book as as my as my toy. Well, what kid would pick out a book? <laughs> except this book was entitled "Fun for Boys," and I we were in the middle of the war then, World War Two. And the first chapter was how to identify enemy aircraft. Mm, I I studied that carefully because I knew if a Messerschmitt was coming down from Warsaw and flying over our farm, I would be able to identify it. And then I would try to call the authorities, whatever that meant. And how do you call the authorities on a, on a, on a, on an old crank phone that I had no idea. So every day I would, once I had this book, I would look, 
I would look at the sky. Sure. There was no airplane of any kind, <laughs> foreign or, or local. But I was ready because I knew what a Messerschmitt looked like. Sure. Well, I'm glad you did because I'm sure that was part of a secret Nazi war plan well, was to take Wausau first. <laughs> they got it, over it, there. At the flyover Wild Rose. Right. <laughs> I'm sure that was Well, then the there was a chapter on how to throw your voice. Remember that? Remember how to th- the business about how ventriloquists, how to throw your voice? I thought, that would be really fun. I'd like to throw my voice like way over there. And so I studied that chapter pretty carefully. Mm-hmm. I never was able to quite master throwing your voice. In fact, I thought it looked a little goofy because it said, when you're throwing your voice, you should not move your lips. I cannot, I, I've got to move. I'm, my mouth is working all over the place when I'm talking. Right. So that, that part I sort of left behind. <laughs> but then there was a chapter on how to really get strong. Ooh. And Ooh. I differed with that because I said pitching hay will help you get strong faster than fooling around all this stuff. And I bet there wasn't that. That wasn't in there as an exercise, was there? Yeah. So anyway, that was my toy for the year. Boy. So and then you you have an interesting story about the clothing that you picked too, if I remember right. Well, I usually picked out a sweater or something that my mother would approve. It, of course, the folks they they vetoed everything. We put, picked out something that was more than five bucks. I mean, you're in trouble. You didn't you, get it. Yeah. You, you had to be yeah. less than less yeah. than five bucks. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you think about that during the depression years, or I well, mean, the, the war wasn't quite as bad, right? I mean, there were well, start- you'd be surprised. We right. really had nothing all, all through the war. Everything was rationed, okay. and so it was just really a tough time as well. I still have my rationing book. Even all yeah. the other kids had little rationing books. Yeah. I remember you, seeing you, those. My mom and dad had those, yeah, too. You couldn't get gasoline. Yeah. You couldn't get uh, tires. You couldn't get sugar. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. My mother was a, was a wonderfully good cook and baker, and she baked a lot of Christmas things. And we couldn't get any sugar. So she was baking with sorghum. And with honey, as, as, as something takes place of sugar. When the war ended in 1945, the first thing my mother did, she went down to the grocery store, the mercantile in Wild Rose, and she bought, can you believe this, 200 pounds of sugar and put it in the attic. And she said, I will never be short of sugar again. And she wasn't. <laughs> I hope it stayed usable. So. Well, sugar has a long shelf life. Oh, good, good. I was thinking of all the, the critters that are on a farm that could, would consider that a real, hey, bonsai, we're good. So, uh, it, well, and I would think, too, that was uh, that must have been an interesting time just in terms of the, the quality of America then. I, I've read how because the war, it was one of the last times when the country was really, truly united. It didn't matter which background. You no, know, that's true. And, and and we, uh, uh, well, going back to the Depression and leading into World War II, the prices, farm prices were just nothing. Uh, and so we literally lived off of our garden and, and all of the produce that my mother canned. And the way, we never electricity, so we couldn't do any freezing or anything sure. like that. So, but to go on to what was going on right as we were getting ready for Christmas. And I will never forget our teacher... Miss Piosky, Teresa Piosky was her name. When I was in first grade, I had just I just gotten to be five years old uh, in July, and now I'm in first grade. We didn't have any kindergarten. They never heard of kindergarten at the Chain Lake School that I attended. And I um, right after Thanksgiving, Teresa Piosky said, "Well, we got to start preparing for the Christmas program." And I didn't know anything about the Christmas program. And she said, "Everybody, every one of you kids are going to have a place." a piece to say, and are going to be involved in the Christmas program. And I thought, you know, I don't think I want to do that. 
I was. You all, had a choice. Well, I thought, I thought I did. Oh. I think Commander Piaski would come in and change your because, because I was I was a little shy kid, uh, and still am. That's on the show okay. too much, but I was. And somebody drive into our yard, and I'd run in the woods and hide. I don't want to see anybody. So I said to Miss Piaski, I said, I don't want I don't want to do this. I mean, that's that's not that's not. I'm five years old now, arguing with this great okay. big old of teacher, course, yeah. older than the hills. She was eighteen. You were spunky then, huh? I can't yeah. imagine that. I was. But oh. she's, I thought she was really old. She was eighteen and. and <laughs> I'm five. <laughs> Ancient, my God. <laughs> but she was in charge. I mean, she was big and out and little. Okay. And so I went home, and I said to my mother, "This, my teacher, Miss Piaski, she wants me to be in the Christmas program, and I don't want to do that. And my mother said, you will do it. <laughs> Good German woman. Oh. You will do it. Oh. Now, how am I going to just, I was worried sick. How in the world am I going to be able to stand up there on the stage with all of these people out there in the audience, my, my uncles and aunts and cousins and all the neighbors, and they're going to see me up on the stage making a goofy fool of myself. I just can't do that. And Miss Piaski said, I can see that you are worried. And she, Perceptive woman. And she said, I have a secret to tell you. They will allow you to stand up on the stage and not worry a bit. I said, oh, really? And then she whispered that secret to me. And you're going to share it with us, right? Oh, just hold on. Okay. okay. <laughs> Okay, got me all worked up here. I could use that. I do a weekly t- you know, radio show. I, so. And so now it's the night of the Christmas program. And we are all ready. I had a new pair of bib overalls and a new shirt. And I am the first one. To, I'm the only one in first grade. Now I'm on the stage. I'm the first one. And I am a little bit frightened, but I'm remembering the secret and I look out over the audience, and I see the damper on the stove. Some audiences have to explain what a damper is, but this group looks like they would understand that. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot and of nodding. And Ms. Piaski said to me, stare at that damper, and you will don't even look at the people. And you'll just find, I'm, I'm, you'll be just fine. I'm staring at the damper, and I had this tremendously long spiel to share. I would like to welcome you all to our Christmas program. <laughs> that, that was it. That was it. How did you remember that? Oh, it was tough. <laughs> wow. I was just... So it works. That obviously works. <laughs> oh, yeah. Works. So. In fact, in today, I, I have... I talked to a lot of groups, and I'm always looking for the damper on the stove. <laughs> well, I'm here for you, Jared. I am here for I will be your damper. In fact, I've been accused by that my family of being the damper of a lot of parties. Um, but by the way, is there I anybody think- here that doesn't know what a stove damper is? It's on the okay. chimney control to control the smoke. Does everybody know what a spiel is? <laughs> That's very German, of course. Okay, just making well, sure. It goes right along with sauerkraut. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a break here, but before we do, I, of course, have to turn to my friend Kurt Miney and say, Kurt, yeah. this is your cue music maestro, please, as we take out of our first section here on 99.7 Max FM. Thanks for joining us for a very Merry Christmas. Don't go anywhere. Lots of stories left. Bells ring 
all the hustle and bustle, cooking and cleaning and last-minute shopping, it can be a struggle just to make it to the big day. We hope at McFarland's we can help you get it all done. But more than that, we hope we can help you remember the reason for the season. All of us at McFarland's in Sauk City would like to wish all of you a very Merry Christmas. Take a moment and think about how more than 700 years before Christ's birth, the prophet Isaiah wrote, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We pray this Christmas brings you and your family back to the one who started the Christmas tradition. McFarland's, one block south of Highway 12 at 780 Carolina Street in Sauk City, where service and Christmas is a family tradition. snowman we can pretend he's parson brown says i am married we'll say no man no but you can do that job while we're in town and later on by the fire we will sit we'll conspire we're no longer afraid of the plans that we made walking in a winter wonderland we're no longer afraid the plans that we made Walking in a wind watered land. Well, we're not used to playing before, you know, nine at night, so. With a couple of beers. Forgive right? my, uh, yeah, usually, a, yeah, that helps with the chords. So uh, that's why I missed a few. Well, we're back here at a very Sock Prairie Christmas that you've been listening to the wonderful escapades and musical talents of uh, Kurt Miney and Scott Weber, the Prairie Spies. And I'm here, of course, with my very special, very, very special guest and memory expert, uh, Jerry Apps, <laughs> so, who shared with them, uh, some uh, quality tips on how to remember things when you're in a pinch and feeling stressed and all those good things. Uh, Jerry, let's talk a bit more, too, about the uh, how do you get from that point, from being a small town boy on a farm to launching the career that you've had over the past 80-some years? It was mostly an accident. Oh, <laughs> 
Okay, like a car accident or no. uh, something different? I no. Um, for many, many years, I wouldn't talk about this, but now I, I do. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I had polio. That was in 1947. Uh, 46. And I, my right leg was paralyzed. I couldn't walk. And I was home from school. And my teacher, bless her, it was Mrs. Jenks in those days. Uh, she brought out my lessons in the, each day when I was well enough to be up. And I was able to graduate from eighth grade. Uh, and then I'm at Wildrose High School. Uh, as a freshman, still barely able to walk. And it was the expectation of all freshmen, especially the boys, uh, to try out for baseball because Wild Rose had a, didn't have enough kids for football, but we could play baseball. The American pastime. Yes. And so I am up to the plate um, trying out for the baseball team. I had no business being up to the plate. I could skillfully walk up there, bat in hand. And I can remember all these details so well because Cliff Simonson was a junior then and was the pitcher, and he was pretty good. And it was Marty Inda who was the catcher. He Marty was also Inda. a junior, and he was pretty good too. And the idea was to pitch a ball close enough to the, to the batter's knows that he would uh, <laughs> <laughs> not get a bloody nose. That but he would get out of the way. Right. And uh, so... Anyway, the first pitch uh, hit me right here and literally knocked me cold, and I'm flat on the ground. There were no EMTs or any of that kind of stuff right. around. And I wake up, and everybody's looking down at me. Are you all right, Jerry? No. <laughs> A big lump on my head. Well, these were memorable words that the coach, Paul Wright, said at the time. He said, Jerry. I don't think you're going to make the baseball team. <laughs> Interestingly enough, when I graduated from high school in 1951, in the yearbook where it lists all the different things that kids have done, it said baseball won. I had the shortest baseball career in the history of baseball. One pitch. Well, if you can't figure out how to get out of the way of the ball, Jerry. Well, I could figure out how to get out of the way. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> Well, then I, uh, then I was also encouraged to carry on just a bit with the story because I was, I was a miserable kid for years sure. because I could not do what everybody else was doing. I couldn't, I yeah. couldn't barely walk. That's always been hard so for the, the One of my teachers said, Jerry, why don't you take typewriting? I said, typewriting? Holy moly, typewriting is for girls. And it was in uh, those days. Uh, and so here I am in the typewriting class, L.C. Smith manual typewriters, the kind that uh -huh. you really had to work at. Yeah. With some finger power. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. And so there I am with 14 girls and me. And I, one of my buddies said, how's it going in the typewriting class? Ha, 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 ha. And I said, there are 14 girls. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, shut, shut uh -huh. him up and hurry. Not feeling so smart then, were they? <laughs> yeah. So uh -huh. then I'm, I'm, I'm discovering, by golly, I can type better, better than the girls. Why is that? I was milking cows by hand 
and I had strong fingers. And the girls, they their little pinkies mm-hmm. didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. They could not deal with the A over here. Mm-hmm. And on the semicolon and on the other end, well, nobody knew what to do with that anyway, so it didn't make any difference. Right. But, <laughs> wow. so, I, so I'm smoking them in the, in the, in the, in the test. Sure. Uh, I mean, this miserable little boy is smoking these girls who are going on into working for businesses. Yeah, yeah sure. they're doing all that stuff. Well, here, what's what's going to happen? I discovered that the typewriting class was also the newspaper office ah. because we could type, and we typed our random thing through sure. a. How many of you remember a hectograph machine that predates the mimeograph? <laughs> Anybody? I saw a couple oh. of hands go up. Oh, your daughter knew. <laughs> sure. Well, she's heard this story she's a, before. She's a plant. She's a ringer. <laughs> so. so anyway, I, I, this is a big deal now because I'm, I'm, I'm a reporter for the Rosebud. <laughs> That's the name of the newspaper. Citizen Kane's Rosebud? <laughs> oh, my Lord. And, and, and we're producing the whole thing, and I'm, I'm having a good time writing all these stories. Well, by the time I'm a junior, I'm the assistant editor, for heaven's sakes. By the time I'm a senior, I'm the editor. I am the editor-in-chief. I am writing all the editorials, for heaven's sakes. Boy, did you have a name card made for your desk? You've got to be kidding. No. <laughs> Just thinking. I mean. So that's how it started. Okay. That's how it all so began. All, you know, we share two things in common there. I've had polio, too, uh, when I was nine months old. I, I got it from the cubes. So uh, How well do you remember it? Not very well. So, although my mom liked, liked to tell the story when she was still alive because she kept saying, you almost died. Um, they were going to put a plate in your chest. It was very harrowing for her, I can tell. My brother had polio, too. It was about the same age as you. Well, that was, so, a, that was for, for me, that was in, I said, 1947. 55 is when the, the vaccine became available. But I can remember uh, when we went, finally, we didn't, we never went to the doctor. That just, you didn't do that unless right. you're near death, which apparently I was. <laughs> when my leg wouldn't work, took me to the doctor, and the doctor said, I think your, your son's got polio, and then folks, it's, death. it's a death. terrible idea. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, well, my mother said, what should we do? And my, and the doctor said, well, take him home, give him a lot of liquids and keep him warm. And so they made for me a cot down by the stove. And there I spent, I don't know, a couple of months. Sure. The idea was, I don't think he's going to make it because the neighbor kid had died just ahead of me. Oh, yeah, they were dying left and right. Sure. sure. So that's a terrible way to get started, but uh, in a career, if you want to call it a career, but that's how it began. When you actually have a book where you did talk about did. all those experiences. Limp, right? Limping through life. Yeah, that was one of the reasons I grabbed one that of, book. By the way, I, this is a political statement about polio and polio vaccine. There are a fair number of people these days who do not want their children to be vaccinated for polio. And I would like to talk to those folks because once someone has polio, you have it forever. It's not only a physical disability, I'm using a cane these days, but it's a mental disability of the first order. You go through life feeling worthless. And it's uh, psychological, probably more important than the physical. And you constantly are trying to, to impress people that you're worth something. Mm-hmm. I, I have no business writing full time these days, yeah. but I have to. Yeah. I can relate to that. I, one of the uh, results of mine was the uh, I had spastic muscles when I was a kid and a, always a concave chest. I was just not good at sports. It crossed my eyes, so I had no depth perception. So playing baseball, 
forget it. I never even tried. Um, but the, the keyboarding thing is the other thing we have in common because I took typewriting too in 1977 or whatever. And, uh, the girls were still taking the class, uh, which was a good I thought thing. It was mine, it was, oh, mine was 1948. No, 90, oh, no. They were still doing it, and there was no keyboarding class. So I see some young folks out here. You want to try a typewriter sometimes because keyboarding, that's like Wimpsville Incorporated compared to a typewriter. And but, 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 but the ones. typewriter is so I, – I typed – my first two or three books I did on a manual typewriter. Okay. And it, it's a wonderful experience because you, you get to the you – blah, 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 you can hear everyone, and then ding, oh. Man, whooping and bing ding, and over you go. I mean, it's wonderful. Yeah, there's a fascinating documentary now, on that. Stu- Have you the seen stupid it? computer, you can yeah, yeah, go no on forever. No pizzazz, yeah, nothing. <laughs> so, no, there actually there's an excellent uh, uh, documentary if you want to watch it on Netflix that talks about the typewriter. And there are people collecting typewriters now, like they're you know some sort of special baseball card or something. You know, I was you know? We, we were I was at a book signing in Wapak a couple of years ago and. There was a collector there of old old, old typewriters, and he, some of the kids were coming by. And, and where do where do you plug that in? <laughs> <laughs> well, where do you plug me in? That's what I want to know. So, well, you know, and then so then you start writing, but you were also a professor, right? There's a book about you being a professor, so I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, that was kind of an accident too. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Second accident. No, I was um, uh, I. Well, my college. It was an accident that I went to college. Said the truth, and it was because of polio. Because I couldn't do anything else, I read a lot of books. And and when I was a senior, one day the principal called me into the office. And, oh, good lord! What's the principal want to do with me? Because the only time the principal ever called the office is he's done, done something wrong. Mm. And he said, "Jerry, I have good news for you. We've just figured out the grade points, and you're going to be valedictorian of your class." I said, "You got to be kidding." We didn't keep track of grade points or anything in those days. Right? My dad had this wonderful saying, do the best you can with what you've got. I've never forgotten that. Mm-hmm. Do the best you can with what you've got. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm valedictorian. And I, and, and, and what went along with being valedictorian? A month's, a month, a semester's free tuition at the University of Wisconsin really? in Madison. Wow. Yes. That's one heck of a scholarship. Well, it was $65. Yeah. What, what is that? In, what is that in dog years? I, I don't know. So. But anyway, that's what got me to the university. I'm the only kid from my high school class to. You, did, you didn't go to the university. My God, you were. It was fantastic that you graduated from uh, from high school. In fact, my grade school diploma is bigger than my PhD diploma. <laughs> really, <laughs> graduating from from in Wild Rose. If you graduate from eighth grade, is a wonderful thing. My dad had got as far as fifth grade. My mother as far as seventh grade. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think my mom got through ninth grade and then had to stay home to take care yeah, of the well, kids. They, they had yeah, had to stay home and work. Yeah. Well, yeah, they couldn't afford to lose you off the farm. I suppose back in those days, either. Well, I, I see. I was not so great because I was limping. I oh. always was limping. Okay. But I, I, I. I could I could do it. I love okay. farming. I still I have a farm now. I I was like farming. still up in Wild Rose. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so a family farm or did you? Something? No, we bought it in '66, which is a while ago. Okay, in fact, so, it, it's the land still lives that oh, uh, my that's right. I remember it's that. the book that uh, the Historical Society Press, which is my major publisher these days, uh, they. Um, we're aware of this first book that I had written. Can you believe it? Fifty years ago, in 1969, I wrote it, and I, I happened to have known Gaylord Nelson at the time. That was an accident, too, of course. 
<laughs> you seem to have a lot of those. <laughs> I do. Uh, hmm. And he wrote the intro to it, and it was it, it was published in 1970, and we now have a new edition of it that the Historical Society has just published. I wrote a, a new ending, a new sequel to it. Okay. But it's all about our farm okay. and how we are, what we were doing in the early days. It's a poor old farm, stony, hilly, on uh, a terminal moraine. It's, it's, it, it's worthless as a commercial farmer. It's wonderful for tree growing, which is what we're mostly doing. Okay. Well, I know you've talked about uh, just going to school back in those days, how that was so difficult, to, uh, the snow piles that you'd have to dig tunnels through, essentially, even to get yeah, through. Yeah, the winters were, it's true. If you look at the weather records, winters were stiffer, if I could use that word, sure. in those days sure. uh, than they are today. Yeah, tell us your spiel about stiffer winters. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, of course, we always walked to school uh, and... And uh, we just—I just had a mile. Some of the kids had to walk two miles. But I have—I have stories in my in my books about the blizzards and and what it was like walking home from school when you couldn't see uh, six feet in front of your face because of the blowing snow. And your dad, my dad, had come down to the school uh, as did all the fathers because everybody walked and led the way, and we followed him. And I was at the end of the parade with my two little brothers in front. Uh, to make sure that nobody stops along the sure. way, because that was the end if you did. Sure. And I can remember going past Miller's that's halfway home and smelling the oak smoke from the fire. And I, I couldn't see the place, but I could smell this oak smoke. Mm-hmm. And then soon I could smell the oak smoke from our stoves. And I knew we were almost there. And when we got home, opened the kitchen door, and my mother had made a huge bucket, that's the wrong word, pot of okay. of soup, vegetable soup. Oh, I've never forgotten the wonderful smell of homemade vegetable soup when sure. it's, I don't know, 10 below zero and it's blizzard outside and you can't see anything and you're, you're well, that's one of my, one of my memories that I've never forgotten. Sure. And it, it's hard to forget something like that. They yeah. say the olfactory sense is the, the strongest for oh, eliciting it, memories, No right? question about it. So. I, I still teach creative writing, and I, uh, I try to help my students understand that smell is, can be one of the, the most fantastic and important triggers of memory. Sure. It really is. Sure. Do you, do you think we do a, a disservice to our kids these days? I mean, I think of those experiences now. Obviously, they've impacted you. And, you know, but nowadays, who would even think of letting their child walk those kinds of distances? Yeah, in that and, kind and, of they probably, and they probably shouldn't. Uh, it, it, it was a part of what was true at that time. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm one who, who wants us to understand our history, but not necessarily relive it. Okay. And I've, I've written about this, uh, in some of my books, but I, I ask these questions. What of the past is worthy of our continuing today? And what of the past ought be stuck back in our memory, but not relived? Yeah. And to me, that's a powerful question because today, as all this new technology comes rolling out, I, I ask that question, which of that is worthy right. of my use and which of it ought to be let aside? Sure. You know, we sometimes, I think, use the past as a weapon 
even against well, uh, children. Ah, you have no idea. I walked uh, uphill both ways to school. Uh, you know, and, and every day uh, was winter. Yeah, yeah, every day. You know, the summers were winter. We're kind of going to be winter pretty soon if we're not careful, uh, uh, right, uh, Kurt? Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's so. an interesting topic because I, I, I do. I'm very concerned that an increasing, and maybe I'm wrong with this, but an increasing number of people seem not to be aware of where they have been. Mm-hmm. And I tell my writing students, you can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And what that makes you. And it be, because where you have been dictates who you are, whether mm-hmm. you are aware of it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in my book about winter, The Quiet Season, I talk about how winter has influenced each of us in ways that we aren't even aware. And I've traveled all over the place, and when some of my southern friends, when I talk with them, their their life is exp- experiences are based on where they have been, and it's very different. Sure. And the TV shows I've done has triggered a lot of that kind of interplay. I get emails and phone calls from all over the country. And I'll never forget a woman from North Carolina wrote to me and she said, your, 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 your growing up years are precisely the same as mine in North Carolina on the farm, except for winter. (laughs) (laughs) And they're thinking, thank God. And I'm saying that winter has a fantastic influence on those of us who have grown up in the North, a tremendous influence on who we are, how we relate to others, how we see the world. All of that is because of winter, whether we are aware of it or not. That's why I teach history, write about history. I would like people to become acquainted with where they've been so they maybe have some sense of who they are sure. based on where they've been. Embrace that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and it's really not that much different. I was just talking to a friend of mine that works here, came back from a training in Orlando, and he said, you know, 85 and sweltering heat all week long. And I thought, you know, really, what is the difference between being here in the winter and having to be inside and dressing up and what's be, being there and having to be inside all the time with air conditioning? Yeah, it's really. just a you know, the, during the summertime. And at least here, you can put on layers. There, there's only so much you can take off, you know, before, right? You've not been to a nudist colony? <laughs> they closed down the river. I, <laughs> since they closed down the river, I can't do that anymore. Kurt, I, this would be a great time <laughs> I think we need to, to bring. do some music. I think, yeah, if you don't mind, get yeah, us out sure. of this quick. So... <laughs> No, please go on. <laughs> oh, you wish, don't you? Yeah. Not you do a little demonstration, Ronald. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they don't want to see that. That This body in spandex, not a good idea, and not that way for sure. All so, right. We'll yeah, yeah. give you a break. Uh, we'll do a song here. It's actually an original Christmas song. This contains Raoul's favorite rhyme, by the way. You remember this from last year. You'll go, oh, yeah. Oh. So I, I wrote this because uh, Scott, my friend Scott Weber from Up in the Hills... He loves playing swing. Ooh. So I wrote a song called The Christmas Swing. So, and it's become a tradition. Like third year in a row we've played this Ooh. year. So. Big deals. 
There's never been a better time to support small businesses and save big with Max FM Big Deals. Discount certificates from the Max FM Big Deals store will save you up to 50% off retail every day of the week. Local restaurants and wineries, healthy living and spa services, gifts for the holidays, and a whole lot more. New deals are added weekly. Check it out now at MaxFMBigDeals.com. That's MaxFMBigDeals.com. Start shopping and start saving. Well, now the time of year has come around, so gather near and gather round. I know a little tune that we can play, we can sing. Before we all go hibernating, time to do some celebrating. Scott and I will play little Christmas swing. Now when I saw old St. Nick, I went on running up to him quick and asked him if he brought me anything. He said, now I have had my eyes on you, watching everything you do. And last night, I saw you do the Christmas swing. Now there is just one little thing that I'd like to say. We're wishing every one of you a swinging happy holiday. Come on, Scott. up on high hallelujah they did cry peace on earth and goodwill to you all come on down to bethlehem we'll hang out with them three wise men and have ourselves a swinging christmas ball now i don't mean to be sacrilegious but my need to swing is so prodigious makes me wanna dance around with a christmas tree and some may say that swings a sin, but I believe we'll be forgiven when the whole world swings with you and me. Cause there is just one little thing that I like to say. Wishing every single one of you a swinging happy holiday. Come on, Scott. time, Scott. listening to the prodigious music <laughs> of Kurt Miney, who is not sacrilegious. So uh, you, you, you looked at me when you said that. I said, oh, yeah, here it's coming. So how many of you have ever heard the word prodigious in a song before? That's right. I mean, come on now. you got to appreciate what it takes to even put that into a song, for goodness sake. So have you ever used prodigious in any of your work? Try not to. Okay. <laughs> Oops. So... <laughs> 
Well, my guests, Prairie, the Prairie Spies, Scott Weber and Kurt Miney. My special guest, Jerry Apps, is sitting across the table from me. And if you don't know what you're doing right now, you are listening to A Very Merry Christmas here on WRPQ Radio, 99.7 Max FM. Uh, my special thanks to all of you for being with us today. But uh, we have one more chunk of this show. That's what I call it in the radio business, chunks. So don't that's, use that That's pretty home. profound, really. It is, I, think, I think so. Uh, yep. Don't use that at home. People won't know what you're talking about. Um, but I, I know that we've talked about this before, but are there um, things about Christmas that you really are trying to retain, traditions you're trying to maintain, um, things that you wish people, I mean, you were talking a little bit about that before in the previous segment, um, but are there are things that you miss the most, I guess is what I'm getting at. Well, these are, these are things that I am trying very hard to continue um, now, of, of course, when one misses a family that's no longer with us, that's that's uh, that's common. But family, to me, is one of the most important parts of Christmas. Getting getting together. Uh, I'm at an age now where I have grandkids all over the country, and some not all of them make it home for Christmas, but some of them do, and that's that's a uh, uh, always always a fun a fun thing. But to me, one of the most important parts of Christmas, in addition to family gatherings and good food and all of and the church services and so on is is the giving part of it uh, I uh, and I want to tell this little story because I, I've written it in one of my books and it's in a TV show as well but I will never forget uh, when our neighbors uh, just half mile down the road from us Alan Davis and his daughter Catherine lived on this farm that was a lot poor farm than, than we had and they they had really absolutely nothing they barely had enough to eat and my mother each year uh, would send uh, my two brothers and me down to their farm and it was half mile down the hill from us and she would bake a, uh, a pie for Alan uh, and Catherine, and she would also buy some little gift for each of them. And so my two brothers and I will never forget this time we walked down there, and there was no Christmas tree. There was no sign of Christmas in their room because apparently they just couldn't afford it. And they were the most wonderful people. They welcomed us into the house. They said, how are you doing? How's Christmas been for you? What presents did you get? And all that sort of thing. And then I gave them this pie, and they said, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank your mother. And then I handed Alan a pair of work gloves, the kind that you could buy at the Mercantile in Wild Rose for 29 cents. <laughs> and he said, thank you. Thank you so very much. And thank your mother as well. And then my mother had purchased for Catherine a little handkerchief, a little dainty handkerchief. I suppose it was a quarter, maybe, or 50 cents. And I handed that to Catherine, and she said, thank you. Thank you, Mother. And she had tears in her eyes. Because I knew that was the only Christmas present that she had gotten. She was in her 20s, and her mother had died taking care of her father. I've never forgotten how simple that little gift was. It was Today you would sort of laugh at it, a pie and a pair of gloves and a handkerchief, for heaven's sakes. That meant all the world to them. Sure. And it did to us, too. Sure. Because it said giving is more important than receiving. Sure. 
Well, and the kindness of that, you know, that's the, the beauty to me of, of Christmas. It's one of those things, those times of the year where expressing love in sincere, genuine ways. Well, and it, you know, it, it also was a reflection of what community and neighbors meant. Mm-hmm. Because everybody knew that they didn't have much of anything. Mm-hmm. And so they looked out for them, as we said in those days. We looked out for them. Sure. Any, anybody in our audience long for that again? Miss that? Want to make the world more that again? Uh, and, you know? It's our job. Yeah. You know? It's, uh, it's one thing to talk about the memories, but it's another one to, to make those well, memories. Yeah, so look, those are some things. There's not only memories, but those are lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, as a little kid, yeah. uh, lessons that were not from a book, were not from a teacher, but for from life. Well, it's interesting watching you. I've, I've heard this story from you, I think, three years in a row now. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and, it, and it never loses its impact. And I think part of that is because you can still see the impact that it's had on you. Oh, sure. Um, and I'm sure you've shared that with your kids and everybody else, and they understand how meaningful that They've is. They've probably heard it more times than they <laughs> might tell it better than I can. <laughs> but you don't mind it, do you? And I, yeah, have to, yeah. I have to brag for a moment, but the TV show uh, Farm Winter with Jerry Epps uh, won a, an Emmy Award because of that little story that was in it. They, they played it nationally when they mm-hmm. when they. Gave us the award. Well, isn't that interesting too? How it speaks to what you were talking about before—to embrace your story, to to remember where you've been, yeah. uh, and who, wh- what that made you, uh, and how, that's why it's powerful. It's genuine. It's from you, from your well, experience. It's it's it's, a, it's the reality of how, what life was like sure. in the during the Depression and World War Two sure. on, on the farm. So. I want to shift gears a little bit just to give that, that holiday cheer message to. I remember a story that you've told before about a certain gift that your brother chose out of that Sears catalog. And as I remember, he had, you both had, kind of a memorable experience. Well, I should love to tell you that story again. Okay, good, good. Yes. I, you're in for a treat if you haven't heard this before. So. Because in the Sears catalog, you could buy a crow shoot which meant a, a little cork gun and some little crow things that were on a fence. And if you if you're a good shot with the little with the little cork gun, the cork would hit the the crow and it would go like that. And so my brother had wanted a crow shoot. That was his present from the catalog, and he got one. And so this is Christmas morning now. The chores are done. We've finished the milking and all that stuff, and then we opened our presents. We're sitting around the, the, the round oak heater in the, in the dining room. That was the warmest place in the house at the moment. And my brother is uh, Daryl. He's fooling with his present. I'm probably looking at some book, and Donald is doing his little thing with his cork gun. And whatever got into him, I'll never know. My, my dad in those days uh, smoked cigarettes, and he was sitting by the stove, reading the paper and smoking a cigarette. And my brother Donald, why he did this, nobody to this day can understand. He took careful aim and by golly, shot the, the cigarette right out of my dad's mouth. 
I mean, there was a great silence came over the room at that moment. Because dum, dum, this, dum. this was the most awful thing any kid could ever do to shoot the cigarette out of your dad's mouth. He would be punished in ways that we had not even thought possible. Was he checked for mental illness after that at all? <laughs> Just wondering. I'm thinking. Oh, and wow. then so Daryl and I are looking at each other like, oh, this is going to be interesting. All right. <laughs> Glad it's not me. So. <laughs> and my dad looks over at Donald and he says, that was a pretty good shot. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of it. <laughs> I think we would call that the grace of God. <laughs> it, so. was, it was Christmas Day. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to kill anyone on Christmas. That would be bad for the family oh. traditions, wouldn't it? That's, so, great, that's, that's one of our favorite family oh, stories. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you have fam, fam, favorite family things, the oyster stew, right? I oh, oyster the, stew. My sure. gosh. My kids here can say something about oyster stew. They dearly love it, both of them. The, <laughs> we got one up, one down. Those of you that can't see. He said he wouldn't eat oyster stew is the last thing in the world if he was starving to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even on a cold winter day, right? No way I'm reading that. So is there, uh, beyond the oyster stew, of course, there's other traditions that you're still, I'm sure, trying to celebrate and keep alive in, in the house? Well, we have forever had a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, some people these days do not have Christmas, a real Christmas tree, by the way. Sure. And this year, for the first time in 30 years, we bought a Christmas tree. Why? Because the day we were supposed to cut it, I've run a tree farm. We've we planted like 12,000 trees in the last uh, several years. You think among 12,000 trees, there might be a tree that At would be worthy. At least one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't go because the roads were icy and all the rest wow. of it. And so we put up this, this, this okay. real tree, but we paid for it. Okay. And I had vowed 30 years ago I'd never do that. Do not use the word never. That, is a, that gets you into trouble a lot. Oh, always, yeah. So the Christmas tree. The other thing about a Christmas tree, it's, it's a history tree. My wife writes a little, little list of everything that's happened in the family in the past year. For 58 years now, we have those little stories on this tree because we've been married 58 years. Wow. And since the day we were married. So that's part of the tradition. And if you want to know the history of our family, you don't go looking for books and all that stuff. You look at the Christmas ornaments. Sure. Why not? Which is a little unusual. Abbreviated versions, probably, right? Well, what she does, she takes a little uh, safety match box and puts the cover of my book. I generally have a book every year. Okay. And so she has a... Uh, one of these little books. So these little books hang all over the tree, wow. and you open up the little thing, and it tells you what the family's been doing for the year. I think it's kind of novel. But... Right. <laughs> that was a pun, if you didn't catch a novel novel idea to have a pun of that sort. And I, I was trying to make one with the abridged version of things, too. I can, but, I can tell, but yeah. you can tell that I can't get it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm missing the big point here. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm totally humiliated now. I think I'll just... Get out of the radio business altogether. So uh, we're uh, we're talking with Jerry Apps, and I think we're about out of time, pretty close. So, Jerry, are there uh, Christmas wishes that you think you'd want to pass out, or a Christmas wish? Yeah, I, I I would like us to continue to whatever whatever our our religious uh, uh, bent might be. Christmas is a wonderful holiday. It 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 just is, and and I think we ought to keep celebrating it forever and not argue about whether it should be a holiday special or whatever it is. If you want to call it that, that's fine. But 
let's just keep doing it and let's keep bringing families together and let's keep bringing forward some of the traditions. As much as Steve hates oyster stew, I think he will fess up that it's a family tradition. My grandparents ate oyster stew on Christmas Eve. My parents ate oyster stew on Christmas Eve. We eat oyster stew on Christmas Eve. It's How many of you eat oyster stew? Look at that. Uh-huh. Well, not uh-huh. as many as one would hope. <laughs> the oyster stew breed is dying out. But we're going to make, you can actually learn how to make oyster stew from yeah. Susan and your Oh, cookbook. we got the recipe right there. We're right. willing to, to, to share it. Right. The world go forth and make. And, and by the way, the, 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 both of the my kids are here to sign books too because we've done books together, both of them. So yep. if you want to sign book from all three of us, uh, we're here to do that. And if you're listening to this uh, radio broadcast now, too late. Uh, <laughs> so you didn't make it down here to be part of the audience. They're not going to be left by the time you get down here. Well, we'll have a few, I'm sure. So well, there are books but, here. You yeah. can come back to the store any old That's time. True. And, and usually sign a couple extra oh, ones yeah, just to that. have them. Yep. Signed edition by Jerry. Jerry, I can't thank you enough. It's always such a pleasure. You are to welcome. It's talk always with fun. You and, always fun. Um, great to have your son and your daughter here. I, last year we had a lot of fun teasing Steve and uh, teasing Susan and teasing you about uh, well, Steve mostly teasing Steve. I think about being the Grinch of Christmas. In so, fact, on his front lawn stands a Grinch. How tall? It's a small one. Four feet. Okay. There are bigger ones than that available. <laughs> Amazon, I don't know. We, we could carry, special order one for you here at McFarland's if you like. So, but uh, thanks so much sure, uh, you're welcome. for sharing. I'm sure everyone here, thanks you for sharing as well. And uh, lest we forget how we started all this thing today, we will finish the same way. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Kwanzaa to all those of you listening, Um, and uh, we hope you have a very blessed and happy New Year. From all of us at a very Merry Christmas from McFarland's in Sauk City on WRPQ 99.7 Max FM, I leave you with the wonderful music and the prodigious playing of Kurt Miney and Scott Weber, the Prairie Spies. Thank you all. Thank you, Raul. Thanks for having us back. Thank you, Jerry. You are welcome. I knew him when I was a student, you know that? He was a legend. Still is. Still is. So here's one just to take his own. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, I'll will be out of sight Have yourself You can sing if you want A merry little Christmas Make the Yuletide gay From now on Our troubles will be miles away Yes.
yourself a merry little Christmas now. Oh, have yourself a merry little Christmas now. I think I better let Scott play a little bit. Okay, well, we'll just call it a year. Thank you again. Thank you, McFarlands. Merry Christmas. Have yourself a merry little Christmas now. Oh, Christmas now. Christmas now. I'll be honest. I've been dreading this holiday season for quite some time. It has been looming in front of me since this summer when there was no end to the pandemic in sight and social distancing was being touted as the new normal. All I could think was, what in the Sam Hill is going to be normal about this at Christmas time? I mean, how do you even begin to sing songs like Joy to the World and It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year when there's all this going on? And then I remembered Dr. Seuss and how, in Whoville, after all the Christmas trappings had been stolen by the Grinch, the simple Who's of Whoville still came out and welcomed Christmas Day. The Grinch saw that and realized he had missed the whole point. I think I was missing the whole point, too. Because we can welcome the gift of Christmas with or without anything else. Having Jerry around again this Christmas has felt sort of like watching It's a Wonderful Life for the 18th time and just appreciating it as a good story that takes us to a good place and help us to focus on all that there is to be thankful for and how much sense it makes to keep hoping for a better tomorrow. That's a frame of reference worth preserving in spite of what's under your tree or who's at our table. So, whether you celebrate this holiday or not, I hope you all find time to celebrate the joy and the gift of being with ones you love. Thanks for joining us.